Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is episode 186 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. Again, just here to intro things as it's part two with Richard and Raj. We're going to get back to eRenewable CEO Mike Niemer in just a second. But we got to hear from Mike's better half before we get things started. eRenewable COO Ann Niemer has a few words for us. Let's check in with Ann right now. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company private equity, or privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Welcome to The Green Insider Podcast. Today we are on our second part of our two-part series with Constellation. I have with me uh, Richard Spelke and Raj Bazaj from Constellation. On the first part of our talk, you heard a lot about electricity in the regulated and uh, deregulated or competitive, as you learned in that last uh, episode, uh, states. And so what we're now turning to is I'm going to turn to Mr. Raj and have him talk about the sustainability products that his team works on for Constellation and what they're providing uh, to the customer, whether it be possibly a homeowner, possibly a CNI customer, Raj, I'll let you uh, kind of lay the lay the groundwork for what that products look like. Sure, uh, Mike. Thank you. Uh, you know the way we think about sustainability in general is it's it's a journey, right? There's no magic bullet where you can just say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and all of a sudden um, I'm going to take all the the carbon out and um, I'll be good to go. And to think about it in that type of discipline manner, we have come up with what we call our sustainability continuum. And the sustainability continuum, uh, it, it talks about four different parts to developing and implementing a sustainability strategy. And, and the first part of, of any kind of a strategy when it comes to sustainability begins with um, kind of creating your benchmark, using analytics to see where you are today, right? If you don't know, Mike, where your carbon is, is it 100 units? Is it 120 units? Is it 50? How do you develop a plan on getting to zero? So where you are and, and using analytics to do that is, is extremely important. And, and to create a good benchmark, you have to know and be confident that the data that you're using is, is accurate because it's garbage in, garbage out. So if you go through this exercise and you say, I have 100 units, but the number is incorrect and you actually have 200 units, what you have done for a strategy doesn't really get you to your eventual goal. So that's really the first part of the process. After that, uh, you know, in, in, in sustainability, it's, it's the first step of sustainability always is energy efficiency. And, and you may ask, why is that the case? It's because sustainability, um, you know, is a lot of people think about I'm going to be adding cost to what I, whatever I'm doing with with new products and services. Well, energy efficiency generally means you could be cutting your carbon while, in a lot of situations, actually saving your money. 
So what I like to say is, wouldn't it be nice to start a journey where you actually are building a kitty that you can use to do some more exotic type of things later as you get more complicated in terms of the strategy and, and, and what you're trying to do to get to that last third of your carbon reduction versus your first third. So is your team going in to a CNI customer and helping them figure out exactly what their carbon footprint is and what goals they need to set to be able to reduce it and make it more efficient? Is that what your, your team does? Absolutely. So what we would do is we would talk with the customer, kind of understand um, what what is their business like today, right? Because getting a benchmark also means that we need to um, understand, are they in a growth mode? Are they going to be acquiring companies? Are they going to be shutting down some of their facilities? Because all of that is going to tie into your footprint. So we we take all their information, we come up with a number today, and then we try to figure out what is going to happen with that number as their business changes over time. And so as your team comes in and does that, uh, do they, do you know, they're essentially helping that company's ESG score for when the world looks into their, you know, financial statements or their, you know, annual reports, they're going to see what what you guys have done in that energy efficiency space to make them more compliant. So do you guys, at the end of all this, when you've done it, assign a score to that? You know, you, I keep hearing about ESG scoring. Is there a score to it or is that just kind of words people use and there's no real score? It's a great question. And, uh, it, it really depends. Well, I'll, I'll take a step back here because the world is changing very quickly when it comes to what is going to happen a year or two out. Because in the U.S. and in Europe, this is already the case. They are developing some very strict criteria. There's going to be some SEC requirements for companies in terms of what they have to report and how they have to report it. So at that point, there's going to be standardization, right? I mean, when the SEC is requiring something, it's like an accounting report or a quarterly report that a company has to submit. There are going to be certain um, criteria in terms of how the report is put together and what exact numbers are going to be provided in the report and how those numbers are going to be put together. We're not there yet. So today it's it's a little bit of... Uh, um, it's it's the good old West, right? In a way, a lot of people right. are providing numbers. Um, the numbers are uh, may mean a lot of different things. And one thing we try to do, at least with our customers, is provide a level of standardization so that if you are um, a real estate company or you are uh, industrial, a number that you get, you feel good about it because it's being done using your own metrics in in a way that is very consistent day in day out using a, a analytics platform. Gotcha. So now your company comes in, they do the evaluation, and now you have a variety. Once you see their needs and you get them more efficient, you have a variety of products you can offer them. And if Robert recall your your basic products, you start with is your core and your core plus. Is that right? Yeah, um, I mean, once we get through energy efficiency, right, and we figure out how to, I mean, electric lighting retrograde, retrofit, for example, right, it's a very cheap way to reduce cost and to reduce carbon. Um, then you could also um, do a lot of things. I mean, we we find with a lot of our customers they have old HVACs, 
Industrials may have chillers that are or heat exchangers that are 20, 30 years old, right? Those are just out of date and replacing them can be extremely valuable in terms of carbon reduction. So getting through that first step and doing the simple low-hanging fruit type things, the next step, yes, is to start talking and thinking about renewables. And, and Mike, as you know, right, one way that a lot of customers were doing it before was just greeny wrecks. Greeny wrecks were cheap. It was a good way to, to make a statement that you're offsetting your carbon. You're not reducing it. You're just offsetting it. But um, the cost of those wrecks has gone up. I mean, they used to be less than a dollar a megawatt hour. They went as high as five, six, seven dollars, and now they're in that four to five dollar range. So they're not as cheap, and plus, a lot of people just don't want to use Rex to offset. They actually want to reduce their carbon, and that's where a product like Core comes into play. And um, you, you know, you have two different uh, ways of doing it. One is a behind the meter type project, like a solar type uh, um, uh, solar uh, structure that you can install. A lot of companies prefer that because their states have certain um, uh, uh, rebates uh, or incentives that drive customers to want to do it even more. But then for some other customers, re- uh, resiliency and reliability is, is very important. So having their own generation on site is becoming more important for, for those types of companies. On the flip side, you know, a lot of companies are saying, OK, we want to take a large part of our volume and we want to uh, secure that energy, that green energy, from um, a new build, wind or solar field, meaning that that is not in existence today. It's on the drawing boards. It's going to be, the construction is going to begin at some point in the future, and this is going to be online generating power two years out, three years out. In those types of situations, the customer gets the benefit of additionality, meaning that they are helping produce or generate new electricity, which does not exist today. And that's a very strong claim. And for a large lot of companies, those are the types of things that are becoming more important. So, um, you know, a a core type product gives the ability for a customer to to take something from a very large um, uh, aggregation that's uh, or, or generation that's coming up, take a portion of that load, we at Constellation then will work with that wholesale counterparty and then de-risk it and provide um, essentially a retail-like contract to the customer. So our goal is, you know, our customers are not, uh, they don't want to go through negotiating a, P- a wholesale PPA transaction, very complicated, 100 plus pages, don't have expertise, have to go in, uh, get outside counsel, which can be extremely expensive. So We, because we're doing this day in, day out, do all of that for our customer, take the risk off the table, and then we provide a retail type product to the customer so that it meets their goals and it gets them exactly what they're looking for. Well, you know, um, on this show, we've talked about PPAs in the past, you know, and we know they're doing them from seven years to 25 years. And so... A lot of industrials don't want to go out that long and do that. So it's good that you have a product in core that can bring them back to all they really know is they're signing a three or five year contract like they normally would. Instead of a vision, just regular off the grid, you guys are providing it from a, a, a facility they can point to. Uh, I cannot remember. What's the word core stand for? It's Constellation Offsite Energy. Okay. 
And uh, a couple of other things I want to clarify, Mike. One is that, um, you know, the core type product can only be sold in markets, in open markets that Rich was talking about in the first segment. If, if, um, and uh, the other piece to this is that, you know, the PPA could still be 15 to 20 years. But what we're doing is we're locking in the energy for, for two to five years at a time. Because when you go past five years, the markets are not very liquid and the prices are, are on the higher side. So on a rolling basis, we will keep on locking in their power over the term of the PPA. So, so once you do that 15 year PPA and you're selling it to industrials just taking a part of that original PPA volume wise, you're selling them two to five years. Are they obligated to take the net to renew the, right after that and continue going inside that PPA or they still have, is it still an open market for them? We, we provide a level of flexibility, Mike. That's another great question because obviously from a customer standpoint, the, that's something that they would like to avoid in many cases, right? The fact that they're locked in and, and at that point, you know, as a supplier, we can charge them whatever price we want. So we do provide the opportunity for them to, to go out and, and look at other options if they choose to do so. But generally speaking, a lot of our customers um, are getting pricing from us on an ongoing basis for that next rolling period. And we can set up triggers for them where if the price hits a certain trigger, it, it, it meets what they're looking for in terms of their budgeting needs and, and their overall strategy. And they, they just go ahead and lock, lock it in at that price. And so is are most of your sustainable deals that you're doing out there with regards to energy uh, all based off the core product or do you have other products that facilitate for the customer too? The, the core product. So uh, the other product that we have, and, and this is a, a newer product, it's called our Rec Plus product. And the Rec Plus product is for markets where, um, you know, like it could be Oklahoma. It's a regulated market. And um, there really is no way for our customers to get those uh, new project recs. So the REC Plus product provides an opportunity for a, a customer to get that rec and to get additionality associated with it because it's a new build, right? They can point to it and say that this particular rec is being generated from a, a new wind farm that is coming up in ERCOT, for example. And we've done deals like that. but. What we are doing in the process is we are also de-risking this uh, for the customer because a VPPA uh, in a VPPA structure, which is the most common product out there, and I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before, um, there is the, 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 the settling between the markets and that, that uh, pricing can, can really cause a lot of volatility on the bills of the customer. They can bounce around quite a bit. And that's, that's a concern. Um, and, uh, what we do is we take on that risk so the customer does not have to worry about that volatility on a, on an ongoing basis. Well, for those newer listeners to our show versus those that have been following us for the last couple of years, the BPPA is a financial swap instrument that financially settles every month. And so what Raj is talking about is they assume that price fluctuating risk and manage it within their book, whereas you're have, not having to worry about uh, how much you're going to be paying each month. Would that be correct, Raj? That is correct. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, our, our mindset is, you know, we are trying to provide our customers with products that are as retail-like, so to speak, 
um, as possible so that for them, they they feel more comfortable making this transition over to to green power and um, and their, and achieving their sustainability goals. Okay. Uh, do you have any products that uh, that somebody uh, is looking for a carbon free product? Do you guys provide that type of uh, service? The, the carbon free products, uh, you know, the, other than the core and core plus products, one other product that seems to be um, getting a lot of attention these days is um, what we're calling our our, our carbon free matching product. And Mike, this is, you know, like um, if, if you think about it. Uh, if, if, if a company is um, getting their uh, power from a, a wind farm and the wind farm, uh, the wind is not always blowing, the, the sun is not always shining. So during those parts, um, how does a customer ensure that they are getting um, carbon-free um, energy, right? That, that's the next phase of evolution in our business. And we have created a product that... Um, provides a way for a company to make sure that they're getting carbon-free electricity 24 by 7, 365 days a year. And um, that to us is is kind of like the holy grail. And some of the larger tech companies are talking about this. Uh, some are in the process of implementing these types of products. But for more sophisticated customers moving forward, this is going to be the, the next way for them to further reduce their carbon and really demonstrate analytically because we have a platform that will track all of this so that from a reporting standpoint, they can show that they're actually not using any brown power. Well, very good. I, I know um, uh, part of what we want to accomplish in episode two of this Constellation series is to come back over to Richard and have him start uh, talking about the rates and regulatory issues. I know Richard, uh, uh, goes around the country speaking at a lot of uh, conferences with regards to this. Richard, um, what do you want to enlighten us on today with regards to some of these regulatory issues you're facing out there? All right. So like Raj talked about, Mike, you know, we have a plethora of products in the competitive uh, markets predominantly. We have some for the vertically integrated traditional uh, states too. But even in the competitive states that allow choice, that have already restructured, notice I didn't say the word deregulated, uh, you know, there's still a few, you know, as things evolve and as the technology changes and customer preferences change, you know, there's still a few policy issues that we need to work on. I got three of them that I want to talk about briefly that I'm uh, wanting to have people think about and, you know, find a way we can, we can address these things. So first of all, uh, I call it the evening the playing field with respect to renewable credits or renewable, you know, acclimating renewable into the mix between when a retail supplier is serving the customer or when that customer is on default service. So in 13 of the 14 states, so Texas being the exception, the utilities uh, provide what, what is called default service to many of the customers that choose not to choose a retail supplier. So uh, each state has its own you know, rules for how that uh, default service is established and procured by the utility. And I want to get into that now. That's a whole other podcast. But uh, what I do want to address is, like, for example, just using community solar as an example. What I've seen in some states is when a uh, customer's on community solar, be it residential or non-residential, doesn't matter. Oftentimes there are, uh, I guess it's, it's an unlevel playing field. In other words, the customer would rather be on default service 
combined with their um, community solar credits because the way it works is uh, favors the default service supply side to the detriment of when they're with a retail supplier. So there's some uneven playing field issues that I've seen happen in certain states that, you know, in other words, should, what I'm trying to say is if, if you're on community solar, you should be indifferent. The credit should be the same, whether you're on default service or with a retail supplier, there shouldn't be uh, incremental incentives to be on default service, that's unfair. So in some states, I think we need to take a look at those rules and make sure they're, they're fair between the two different parties. Uh, the, se the second issue is what I call the net metering fix. And this is a, this is a big one. Again, in uh, all the states except for Texas, uh, the way it generally works is, and again, I'm talking about the competitive states, uh, when a customer has an on, you know, whether it's uh, a fuel cell or a solar panel or whatever the case may be, if they generate more than what they're actually using in a given hour or a given meter read period or a given day, whatever the case may be, the retail supplier sees zero on their settlement statement with the ISO. They don't actually see how many kilowatt hours went backwards into the grid, nor do they see like the time that the uh, you know kilowatt hours went backwards into the grid. So. Therefore, if the retail supplier is not seeing that information and not getting that, uh, getting those, those kilowatt hours assigned to their ISO settlement statement, they're not able to monetize those kilowatt hours and then give the customer some type of a financial incentive. Instead, they're flowing to the utility. And, what, and again, the utility should get those credits when the utility is the default service supplier because they are the load serving entity. But when we, the retail supplier are the load serving entity, we should get those credits so that we can monetize them and give the customer some type of financial incentive for you know overproducing during certain points in time during the day. So we need the data and we need the credits at our settlement statement. So that's the second one. And then thirdly and lastly is a pretty straightforward one, which is, you know, now like Raj just got done talking about and what your whole podcast is about, clearly the the country is, you know, clamoring for more and more renewables and states are constantly or not constantly but it seems like constantly you know changing their renewable standards and increasing them to higher and higher percentages as years go by and the customers themselves are even you know wanting more and more renewables even beyond the rps requirements of a state so as these things continue to leapfrog each other these requirements for renewables what we're finding many times is that customers are sometimes double paying for renewables so like they're let's say they're going 100 percent renewable with a retail supplier on one of our core products, for example, from Constellation, just by way of example, yet at the same time, they're still having to pay the RPS payments to a state's you know, RPS rule uh, costs. So they're basically buying more than 100% worth of renewables, which is kind of not fair. So I'm encouraging the state policymakers to look at a way that customers can get full credit if they're already buying voluntary, voluntarily uh, the RPS provisions through their retail supplier that comply with the state's rules so they don't have to continue to also pay the RPS costs at the same time if they're already complying with it on their own. And that, because it's not fair to have to pay twice for the same thing. Well, no, it absolutely is not fair. And do you find with regards to the, your, the RPS issue you just talked about, in the 14 states, how many states have that same issue? I think they all have an issue with that. Um, you know, I know my own state, Illinois, has something for really, really large customers where they can get a partial credit. 
for their own um, renewable purchases if they meet certain criteria, but it's really complicated. There's a lot of forms to fill out. It's not uh, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, it's a step in the right direction, but you know, as far as I know, other states don't even have that. So it, it, it's definitely going to be something you're going to hear more and more about because, again, as the states increase their RPS and as customers themselves demand more and more renewables, there's going to be more and more of this double payment concern expressed. Well, because that only raises their costs. So the, you're absolutely spot on with that. So um, with regards to Constellation's efforts to uh, not just be a, a good provider to their client, it appears to me that you guys are also being a good patron to the cause and uh, being out there and trying to put some forth some of these uh, things that would be positively affect not only the retail provider, but also the consumer. And uh, can you explain a little bit more about what you guys are doing to do some of, jump through some of those hurdles to help the cause? Yes. Well, yeah, Constellation is deeply involved uh, on the political side of the arena. I mean, we have to be. Our business is uh, very much influenced by policy, both at the federal level and each of the state levels. So we have a a full team of state government affairs employees and federal uh, affairs employees as well that, uh, you know, are deeply involved and engaged in these conversations. You know, we're members of the, I mentioned RISA earlier, the Retail Energy Supplier Association that we're a member of that's also actively engaged in these conversations. So we're always trying to advocate for policies that, uh, you know, advance the cause of competitive markets and renewables and clean energy. You know, but what I would say to your listeners, though, is, you know, what, what, what's missing uh, from this conversation oftentimes is the customer voice. We really need our customers to step forward in the various states that we serve them in and express their preferences, express their interests. Get involved because, yeah, yeah, I might have awesome pie charts and bar charts and graphs that show them this or show them that. But, you know, I'm not a business owner in a given state. I'm just a representative of, you know, either my company or of my, my company's organization that we're a member of. And it carries a lot more weight when a customer themselves expresses their preferences in a, in a state. It carries a lot of weight. So we really need customers to step up and volunteer to be engaged in these conversations. Well, Richard and Raj, thank you guys both for all that you do. We appreciate your time on part two of our series with Constellation. Uh, Enjoy your rest of your week, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we have you on again real soon. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It was great to uh, share our our vision and our ideas with your audience. It was my pleasure. Uh, Again, this is uh, Richard Spelke and Raj Bazaj from Constellation. Uh, uh, thank you for listening to the part two of the Constellation uh, episodes on the Green Insider Power Bay Renewable.